Hey, welcome to Institutionalized. When I was thinking about starting this podcast, it was the Christmas holidays, and my daughter was home for break. And uh, she said, hey, Dad, I'll come on a podcast with you. So that's this episode. I'm going to listen to Gen Z, my Gen Z daughter. We're going to have a conversation around the dinner table like we often have. And uh, she's very insightful. She has a heart of gold and a real passion to help the homeless and uh, kids who are stuck on the street and everything else. Um, Yeah, enjoy the show. And if you get a chance, leave a rating, a review, uh, subscribe. I hope you enjoy this episode. Uh, Candid conversation between a dad and his daughter uh, about a plethora of different topics. So without further ado... This is Olivia Templeton. In the spirit of open conversations, I have my daughter, Olivia, on the show. Olivia, I'm really interested in hearing a lot of your opinions and thoughts on topics concerning your generation, Gen Z, Mm -hmm. as a Gen Zer. So you are a member of this generation. You don't represent the whole generation. Make sure that we start with that. But um, as a member of this generation, what do you see? Like, why is Gen Z? I mean, the numbers say that Gen Z is leaving the church and becoming religiously unaffiliated at rates that we've never seen before in any generation in this country. Why is this? For me personally, um, I've never put a huge emphasis on emphasis or even my spirituality a relationship with some sort of God that I've never met sounded completely like absurd to me, like forever. I, of course I, I did. I, I've prayed before I've gone to church. I had fun at VBS. I've sang in chapel, blah, blah, blah. I went to a Christian high school. What can I say? But I've never felt like I wanted to be close to this God. And I think a lot of other People in my generation also feel the same way. Let's unpack that for a second. You said that the relationship thing was something that you were confused about. Yeah. Like having a relationship with someone that you can't see, that you don't know, that doesn't talk back, uh, that doesn't buy you gifts or, you know, all these things. And someone would respond to that and say, well, he gave you the gift of eternal life. Well, what did you do to deserve death and eternal torture anyways that you needed that gift you Mm -hmm. know like that was something that I always struggled with was that word relationship like how do you have a relationship with someone that doesn't talk back to you or interact with you yes and also whenever you read some parts of the bible it's kind of like why would I want to have a relationship with this super violent God especially when you go back to the old testament and you read some of the pivotal or most foundational pieces of Christianity and other religions like is this your God a violent God a God that causes genocide and other things like that I don't know yeah it's it's kind of hard to hard to like want or have a desire even kind of goes all the way back to the beginning like the Genesis story Mm -hmm. like God didn't want humans to know between good and evil like he it's almost like he didn't want them to have free will and he gave them free will reluctantly you know what i'm saying yeah that verse i think it's in genesis 3 and it says uh 
that now they ate the fruit, they're going to be like us knowing good from evil. Like that's a bad thing. And he had told them that they would surely die. But when they ate, when they ate the fruit, but they didn't surely die. Mm -hmm. So it's like, was God trying to control people? Was he lying? I don't know. These interesting things about the representation of God, like him taking Isaac, you know, having Abraham take Isaac to offer him as a sacrifice and then stopping him at the last minute. I wonder how traumatic that was for Isaac. Yes, a lot of trust issues after that. And I'm sure a lot of Christian sons also relate to this. Mm. Ooh, expound on that. I don't know about the rest of my generation, possibly, because I feel like we're a pretty tolerant and welcoming generation of all peoples. You Um, feel like that's different than other generations? For sure, especially older generations. Okay. Um, For me personally, I have found it very advantageous to be a trauma-informed person. Wherever I go, whatever career path I take, whatever friends I meet, being trauma-informed is the best characteristic in being a good person and having good relationships with other people. So being trauma-informed includes religious trauma, other sorts of like physical trauma. Um, in my desired career path, it's going to require me to be the utmost trauma-informed, mm. which I'll get into that, I'm sure, later. But knowing the what Christianity has done to some people that are very important in my life is almost, it makes me mad at the religion as a whole, and it makes me frustrated at the people who do have a good experience because it's not it's not equal not everyone's experience with religion is equal and for me it doesn't I think another thing for this generation is it doesn't matter if we're religious or not it doesn't matter who you are you're gonna make relationships and make friends with whoever you want to meet not just because they're Christian and you're Christian or not just because you're you're a chess player and they're also a chess player whatever we all enjoy everyone's company and we are very tolerant of everyone you think that's a big difference gen z is a lot more tolerant than even yes for uh, sure than even millennials or gen xers Mm -hmm. and i think as time progresses as uh, gen zers come into office there will be a lot more inclusive Mm. policy change for good in my opinion a lot more freedom given to minority groups a lot more opportunities given to minority groups who have been neglected even though america is considered or the united states is considered the great american melting pot it's really not a great place for if you're a non-white non-christian non-man person and there are a lot of those people here they make up a lot of our population. That's not fair. Yeah. What's a specific area of disconnect that you felt between Christians and yourself that was like, oh, I don't want to be a part of like this or I don't want to go to church because that's always been your decision. You know, you can go to church if you want to go to church. If you don't want to go to church, you don't have to go to church. But your spirituality, your religious journey is going to be your own. Mm-hmm. What is the thing that has you know, like specific things that have pushed you away from that environment? I think for me, I never, 
wanted to go to church because it was very public. You were, if you were singing, you were singing with other people. If you were praying, you were praying with other people. If you were reciting verses of the Bible, you were doing it with other people. And I think the fact that it was so grouped up and it was so public and it was so unpersonal is what kind of drove me away from it and kind of almost made me not ask questions because, well, everyone's doing it without asking questions. But I have questions, but it kind of doesn't feel like a safe environment. Mm. I'm not going to make a good relationship with my pastor because there's like, what, 200 other people at this church? So you think if there was a if it was a space where you could ask more questions, that it would have been a space that you were more interested in? Yes, and including in my um, Bible classes, I did not feel comfortable contesting my teacher's interpretation of the Bible. And I do have a memory of when I did, the class went completely silent, and the teacher just said, "No, that's not how it is." But what if it is? Because that's how I always thought it was. Why is my perspective wrong? Mm. And why can it be okay that I think the wrong way? Because what if it is right? Mm. So it's not like it's not that easy to draw these dualistic lines between black and white and right and wrong and all that stuff. Would you say that you're a moral relativist in a way? Well, or do you think that there's a baseline morality that you can find without religion? I think that there are a lot of universal things that are deemed moral across the across the world, across humans. But I think the way that Christianity as a religion lays the basis and doesn't allow for any contestation or any other opportunities or things like that. Well, like, like things like in Christianity, like the Bible never overtly condemns slavery, but that's something that morally we know in this day and age through history and seeing how people were treated, that slavery is objectively wrong. Very. We can take as strong a language as we possibly can against it. Why didn't the Bible do that? You know what I mean? And people can say, oh, it was because of the culture. Well, it's supposed to be something that's timeless and we can read it today and get information for our daily lives about right and wrong. I just don't think we need a book to know what's right and wrong. And slavery is the main example that I think about. You know what I mean? That's like a big disconnect right yeah. there. And I'm sure that there's a, apologists will have all kinds of read. The Bible simply did not condemn slavery universally it simply did not so so do we get all our morality from the bible where where I does sure it, where not. does this universal morality that you're talking about come from what do you think do you think it's something I that's think in it us comes from I, uh, I would argue okay going to philosophy uh-huh. um you cannot just become a completely moral or virtuous person by nature it is something that is practiced. If you are practicing morality, you're friends with moral people, you are practicing virtue, you are being honest, you are known for being honest, you are friends with honest people, and you make them more honest. I think it, it takes an experience to know, the experience to know what morality is. So that's why I think I I feel some sympathy for people who are stuck in Christianity and stuck in their ways 
because they do not know because their experience only allows them to know so much. Mm. But then again, I, I don't excuse a lot of those things. A lot of those because there's a lot of bad stuff going on in the, the, the and words with, and actions that come out of Christians' mouths is condemnable. Yeah, and there's and a, it's wrong. It's, and it's not just the words. It's what what specifically are you referen- Like, are you referencing right there? Like, I, when I hear you say that, I have something in my head, but I don't want to put what's in my head in your mouth. What do you? What What's something specifically that the words of Christians doesn't match up with the message of Christ? Um, so the Presbyterian religion is a, are the branch of Christianity that is Presbyterian. Um, they are supposed to be inclusive and they're supposed to be celebratory of all peoples, regardless of their faith. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to, of course, create fishers of men, but also be, don't be, because I know Christians who believe that they are the supreme religion. Muslims are going to hell. Jewish people are going to hell. Okay. Um, most people that believe in hell do divide, draw those dividing lines. Yes. Between their religion being the chosen one and everybody else is going to hell. Which is a, a huge problem on its own. But the Presbyterian religion is a very open um, religion. It's a very tolerant branch of Christianity. So um, I go to a Presbyterian affiliated college and our chaplain has just been put under for hosting a BDSM conversation with a professional to inform students a very niche subject on sex education, but also a very important conversation on consent and boundaries and things like that and where the line should be drawn. Um, and she was called names by people who claim Christianity who are saying she's a Presbyterian perv when she is actually just being a Presbyterian chaplain by being inclusive and allowing for this education for the students who actually wanted it. The students asked for it. We did ask for it. I am one of those students. And, you know, having a, I feel like having a class like that in a, in a classroom setting would be so helpful for somebody who hadn't had a had sex education in high school and there wasn't talk of consent and all of these things and boundaries and healthy like that was fascinating to me that that they took that stance that a lot of people took that angry stance against her when the students were actually like it's not like they were having a BDSM party and she no, was like not at all. she wasn't like whipping somebody and no. all that kind of stuff. They were simply having a classroom setting discussion yes. mostly about consent and boundaries and communication, correct? Which is basically pre- preventative education, preventative of people crossing boundaries yeah. or not knowing that their boundaries had been crossed. This is crucial information for especially college students who are given so much more freedom than they're used to in high school or living with their parents or whatever. Um, and I think that our school did not represent the Presbyterian branch of Christianity very well by basically putting her into hiding for doing that. And because of the backlash that came out of the mouths of fellow Christians, maybe not Presbyterians, but they do not, 
they said it. They do not believe it should have been held at a Christian college. You're not a big fan of these uh, public sh- shaming rituals, are you? Well, I, mean, I figure as a culture, none of it should be because it's kind of ridiculous, but it happens so much. I'm definitely not on the cancel culture bandwagon. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. A lot of people that are whining about cancel culture being a thing, they're getting famous by talking about cancel culture. It's like, come on. Yeah, it's a lot of, it's a vicious cycle, cancel culture. Yeah. So, you know, a more loving response and a more understanding response, getting all the facts before they started spewing vitriol on the internet probably would have been a better, more loving way to go. Very. Yeah. Or at least make a statement defending the school's like legitimacy as a private institution to hold sex education classes. Yeah. Why are you going to just let people call your chaplain, your very loved chaplain by every student on campus, by the way, this is our go-to woman to talk to for spiritual Mm. support and emotional support. It's everywhere where you look call chaplain beatrix she is your emotional supporter and your spiritual supporter and everyone does that everyone loves beatrix but this the school failed to defend her in any way or speak against those gross words i was i was shed tears be for those words that were said about her yeah those are probably words that shouldn't be spoken toward others in Christian communities. Not at all. She is an ordained reverend. But it's interesting how Christian communities are so afraid of talking about sex. You know, like they're me and you, father and daughter, like you and mom, like we're here for any questions. We're here for any of that stuff. Yes. Like I don't understand the fear in just having the conversation. And that was something that I thought was a big failure in the private high schools that I worked at was when you have a culture of quiet and not talking about it, you know, the kids are hormonal, they're going through puberty, they have smartphones. Mm-hmm. They're learning from somewhere. They're learning from their peers, their locker rooms. They're learning from the internet and they're learning from a lot of their music. You know, and I wouldn't say a lot of the music is really focused on consent. Not at all. A lot of drugs mixed with sex, which is, of course, a a, if not okay. Yeah. I mean, these are conversations you're going to listen to music like that. Layla's going to listen to music like that. And I want to discuss it. You know what I mean? I I liked that Layla was a fan of Juice World because that gave us a chance to talk about depression and it gave us a chance to talk about substance abuse and and a lot of people say, oh, you're, you're a bad dad. And she's 12. She shouldn't be listening to Juice World. She's going to anyways. His music's not that bad. Just the lyrics are dark. need to be touched on. Yeah, they're dark. And it opens up a great conversation to have about mental health and an open door for her to be able to come in and talk to us anytime she's feeling down. I feel like if the Christian community was like that, like if we could ask questions, You know what I mean? We could challenge and critique some of the things like you're coming up in the system and you wish you had had a better sex education. Yes, very much. And the fact that that can't be discussed and it's not going to happen is really just sad. And it it promotes a culture of non-consent. 
Yes. Or sexual abuse within the walls of the school. Yes. And I actually did protest against the lack of sex education at my school. And I... In high school? Yes. Mm. I was um, actually given a hour detention for my protest and I was I was given an opportunity to speak to the dean of the dean of academics okay, at this my is a story school. you're gonna have to tell this story because I don't think any of the listeners know this story if do you want to tell here it here is my protest against lack of sex education to their high school hormonal high school students I know they're hormonal I spoke to them and I was one I was walking the halls one day, very peacefully minding my own business when I turn and look at a poster that says, choose abstinence. And then it says, these are the pros and cons of choosing abstinence and what happens when you don't choose abstinence. People who have premarital sex will have a higher increase of going into poverty. People that have premarital sex have a higher chance of depression. Pros of abstinence. You will likely go into a good career path. And another one. You will not go into poverty. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. So I also decided to share my opinion. Next to this poster, I put up my own poster that said, if you choose the non-abstinence route, because there is another route, Practice safe and consensual sex. Your body, your choice. And I put a bag of condoms on my private high school's wall. So it was up for about 14 minutes. I actually did do a time log. 14 minutes. Yes. There were (laughs) options out there. and So my options were not out there for very long. If they chose to, they should have safe and consensual sex with a loving partner. Yes. That apparently is not an option. Okay. And it also counts as vandalism of another student's poster. I mm. didn't touch the other person's what poster. What class was the poster for? Health. Mind you, there was also posters of about spreading awareness about eating disorders with pictures of girls that were anorexic. Yeesh. Imagine how the girls at the school felt looking at pictures of that. I know my friends are personally horrified. Mm. That's pretty traumatizing. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, there's so many things that we just need to do a better job of, better job talking about, and linking mental health struggles with premarital sex is pretty absurd. That was actually a study that was done by, I think it was the Veritas Foundation or something. It was one of these far right-wing propaganda kind of things trying to get abstinence-only education in schools. Uh, it's not, it wasn't even real. It's completely debunked. There's these things called mental health crises that lo- happened long before the behaviors, impulsive behaviors start to show itself. And just because someone has premarital sex doesn't mean they were having impulsive behavior either and the shame culture that surrounds abstinence only education and purity Purity culture culture. is i mean i lived it at the strongest and some of those things still hard to unwire you know and you enter into a marriage or 
uh, a real relationship, com- like sexually stunted almost, you know, mm-hmm. because you just don't know anything because nothing was ever talked about. But yeah. anyways. Being deprived of your curiosity is something I hope I will never experience and I will never cause someone else to experience. Mm. I hope I've never caused you to feel like your curiosity was being curbed in any way. No. I can confidently say no. I can say that I'm here being so tolerant as a Gen Zer because of my experience at home. Um, a lot of I being a student that went to a I still go to a private Christian school. Um, there are people who love God, who love yeah. to go worship, who go to these big concerts that are as big as Taylor Swift eras tour just to worship. That's completely out of off like off the table for me but it's crazy to think that how they experienced life made them love God and made them be so proud to be a Christian and they're also in the same generation as me yeah it's all about the experience and I think childhood and socialization is a pivotal thing do you think we like kept you away from church and so then you weren't as likely to be plugged in I feel like we were plugged in enough at church to where I did get my own experience. And I was just like, this isn't for me. I'm not mm. traumatized by it. Back when you but used to I'm go just to youth interested. group stuff in the Yes, I grade. did go. I did dabble in youth group. And I did dabble in Wednesday night fun at my youth group's big events and whatnot. There was free pizza, okay? And it was with friends. It was a hoot. But I did not care too much for the worship. I don't know what's so bad about not being interested. I don't understand why it can be so like controversial within other families. And I'm glad that my immediate family does not make me feel like I should affiliate yeah, or not affiliate. I'm just being. You're you don't ca- have to declare yourself as a religious non. Especially in any in any way to be a good person. You know what I mean? Like there's one general thing that we all can feel and that we all should believe in and that's love. And however I express that is the fruit of my life. That's what, you know, people feel from me. But for some reason that thing can be true for a person who's agnostic or something like that. And people view them in a completely different sense. Like we believe in two totally different things. No, we don't. We actually want the same things, you know? And just because we have a hard time grasping, I mean, I I don't like labels at all, just like yourself. I would consider myself a made up label. I'm a hopeful, uh, Christ leaning agnostic. You know? Yes. I mean, that's... And that's okay because identity is basically a social construct. Yeah. And Race is a social construct. Sex, like gender is a social construct. Like, we don't have to identify with these social constructs because we can just create our own. Yeah. And that's, that's what authenticity seems to me. You know, I mean, you learn more about me in that sentence than if I said I'm a Christian. Because you could define that about 8,000 ways. And honestly, I'm going to... Define it in a poor, negative connotation sort of way. Yeah. Not well, going to lie. You've been a liberal in the South for a while. so <laughs> I have been a liberal it's hard, in the South. You know, you've always been somebody who has a strong sense of justice. You've always been somebody who uh, cared deeply for living things. 
whether it was the bears at the Cherokee Bear Zoo when you got so upset. Oh, they're still on my list to save, I promise. Oh, yeah. The they're bears, not forgotten she's about. still coming. She's still coming to get you. Whether it's them or whether it's the animals that you worked with at the vet or whether it's the people that you work with on the streets, uh, whether it's in Memphis, tell us a little bit about what you do. And while you're balancing being a student and social life, what, what else do you do? What are you interested in? So being a newcomer to Memphis, I did not realize how in your face the houselessness crisis was in Memphis. All, especially where my school is, Rhodes College, is in the heart of the homeless area, the homeless, just where you're going to find people who have a lot of needs that aren't being met. Um, a lot of people holding signs, a lot of people just sitting there waving at you mm -hmm. ho in hopes of some sort of whatever, whether it's a cigarette or a, a gift card or maybe a bag of some winter goodies. Um, what I do is I have been volunteering at a drop-in center, which is a place for women to take showers to get a fresh pair of clothes, possibly some shoes, a winter coat, and a warm meal before they go back out. It is not a halfway house or anything like that, but it is a place for people to get their basic needs met. Unfortunately, it is going to be shutting down in January, mm. um, and this is not my first rodeo with a ministry of mine shutting down. I also worked at a different drop-in center located in Chattanooga, um, which was the first in this side of Tennessee to open up. It also shut down due to exploitation by, or a, a sense of exploitation by its own board members and what I realize out of all this is that it's really hard to fight this fight against poverty and against houselessness, but what all I can do as a college student is if I have enough money to buy Duncan, I have enough money to also buy Duncan for someone else. Mm, or coffee. if I have enough money to buy a new pair of shoes, I also have enough money to buy something for someone on the street. I do whatever I can, what little I can. If I want to share half a sandwich with my homeless, with my friends that are homeless and that I pass by on my way back to school, he's going to get the other half of my sandwich. Whatever it is, I'm just going to try to be patient and know that I'm going to be doing bigger things when I'm older. But with my own budget and with my schedule, all I can do is have some water bottles, some hand warmers, and some mittens in my trunk and give them out as I pass by. Wow. So what things are you talking about when you get older? Like, what do you want? What are you interested in doing with I your life? I hope to open some sort of hub, some sort of resource center for people who face um, substance, uh, substance dependency um, houselessness or some sort of possibly disability who can't um, create or find enough money to support their dependents. Um, I just want to be a safe zone for people who are seemed as like just nuisances on the street or people who are in the way or people who are chose that life, which that's an issue. What's the issue there? They did not choose that life. No one would ever choose yeah. poverty. 
especially in a place in this country where poverty is not welcome. And that's one of the issues, too, with poverty, like so much homelessness going around. A lot of this is the opioid crisis, yeah. uh, mental health challenges since COVID. Lots of, there's so many factors that lead to these things. And I've always said that we're one epic tragedy away from madness, you know, and mm-hmm. that's part of what I wanted to do with this podcast is just an open space where we can talk and don't have to keep everything inside. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad that you came on and uh, wanted to talk with me and we're so open and honest and unafraid. You are j- truly fearless. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to share. I'm glad to go back and forth with you. What is something that you think this is from Gen Z. What are something that us Gen Xers, baby boomers, your grandparents age, what are some things that we can do better? Give us one thing that we can do better to make everybody feel more loved, to spread more love to the world, to break some of the stereotypes that like we talked about Christianity today have that are negative connotations like what are some things that what's one thing that we can do better um as a whole i would say this is not aimed at you personally but do not be know-it-alls anymore like Mm. you can't be know-it-alls anymore you can't be entitled to your seniority superiority Because sometimes you have a closed mind in comparison to us Gen Zers. And it's a little embarrassing for those older generations sometimes with the intolerance, um, with the not being okay with not knowing, like condemning, questioning of anything, questioning of authority or questioning of what have you, sex or drugs or whatever i think talking about these things especially as you are in as you are bringing a child up and socializing that child is being open to questions and Mm. embracing differences and giving respect to people who are different than you and giving respect to people who you feel like you're superior to because you're not no one is superior to another human being when I hear you, I hear, listen with an open mind. Yes. Bottom line. It's funny right. because when a lot of the times when I'm going to try to tell you what I think about something, it's always a Google search away from the truth. You know, mm-hmm. it's like now you can't lie to kids. You can't. As a parent, you can't get away with one lie. I remember when you were little. I can't remember what I said. But. It was something silly, like, dad, do you think I'm going to make the team or something? (laughs) And I was like, and you said, if you lie to me, you want me to go away. (laughs) You remember that? I do. I was like, yes, I think you're going to make the team. If you lie to me, you want me to go away. Oh, no, that's not (laughs) what I meant. She's like, no, I'm not going to make the team. No, no. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I always thought that was funny. It always stuck with me. I was like, I don't ever want to lie to my children. Of course. You know? And that means that I'm going to have to do a lot more listening than I do talking because my knowledge 
is deficient in what you're going through in your life. You know, I don't understand. And I think that's where us Gen Zers can give the older generations some leeway. Mm. You guys have gone through a lot, too. You guys had a completely different experience than us. You guys didn't have the access to technology like we did. You guys were outdoors more, apparently. So you guys say, "Yeah." when I was your age, I played outside instead of on those video games. I did both. Same. Yeah, I know you did. You <laughs> I enjoy, I dabble outside. in both as well. But anyways, That's I That's part think of being a balanced human, right? Yes. Everyone can practice being a balanced human. I feel you on that. Well, Olivia, thank you so much. Of course. It's been real. It's been fun. It's been really fun. Thank you for inviting me. All right. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to our little conversation around the table. If you're looking for community after religion, if you are looking for people who have been going through the same stuff with deconstructing, with trying to reconstruct, with just being able to have an open dialogue without any fear, join our institutionalized Facebook group. It is the institutionalized podcast group. Uh, Ask to join and you have a little family just a few clicks away. So come on in. It'll be fun. Thanks again for listening to Institutionalized, Living After Deconstruction.